Good morning. You guys be seated, please. Today, in the middle of the summer, we have chosen to deliver the worst time of the year, a vision sermon, all right? When so many people are traveling or away, vacations, that sort of thing, um, today I'm, I've, I've, we've, I've chosen to preach on our church's vision. Tonight is our covenant members meeting. If you are a covenant member of this church, if you're a family member, if this isn't just where you go to church, but you have covenanted with us, uh, then we are calling upon one another to join together tonight at five for potluck dinner, like the good Baptists that we are. And if you didn't know that you were Baptist, you are just not denominationally. We're not part of the group, all right? But that's what we believe. And, and then at 5.30, somewhere in there, when we're done eating, we'll join together for a family meeting to talk about, our, again, our church's mission, our, our vision, uh, where, where we've been, where we're at, and where we believe the Lord is taking us. And for that, I'm preaching on vision. One, because um, I want to be able to draw upon tonight in our family meeting, I want to be able to draw upon what I've, what I've gotten more time this morning to kind of pull out and teach and, and bring forth before us. But it's also to protect you, our family members, tonight. Uh, that way, tonight, I don't feel like I have to say all of this stuff like I normally try to do on those covenant member meetings. Thank you for no one saying amen to that one, although you have every right to do so. Let me begin this way. Um, I've, I've been teaching my son, Martin, been teaching Marty uh, how to spot the difference between stars and planets up in the sky. He's a really curious kid, very, very observant. So, uh, you know, hey, what's that planet? No, hey, that's not a planet, man. That's a, that's a star. Well, how do you know the difference? So I've been talking that over with him. Um, last night, uh, we were looking at, for some reason, the map on my phone. And on my, on my iPhone, uh, when you zoom more and more out, it shows you the whole globe. And then it shows you the day and night time as it is in real time on the globe. And he was like, I don't think he'd ever seen that before. He's mystified. Whoa. So I was, I was working him through how day and night works on Earth uh, due to the relationship uh, uh, and our direction of where we're facing the sun, uh, what direction the Earth is rotating, and, and how the Earth is actually not like this, 90 degrees, but it's tilted by 23 and a half degrees. Uh, and that led Martin to asking, uh, Dad, if the sun is so big, I'm talking stars and planets and the sun, how big is the sun? You can fit like literally thousands of sun, you know, Earths into the sun. He's like, Whoa. Dad, if the sun is so big, and if those stars and those planets are so big, then why are they so tiny when we look at them? Like if the sun is so big, it's up in the sky, it's really bright, but I know it's like that big when, like, if I could do that, right? You, you all get the confusion that Marty's trying to express. You're telling me that something that seems so tiny is actually, is actually, truly, really big, and not just big, but awesomely big. How? How can the, both of those things be true? Because they look small, but they're, t they're big. But you, you know the answer to that. Why, why do they seem so small? Because they're so far away. We, we, we need help to see those mysterious and amazing and unbelievably gigantic and extremely far away things. We need help in order for us to be able to see them the way they actually are the way they truly are. Because with, just with our eyes, we, we can't see them for out as they really are. And so, because I'm a nerd, that, that, that drew me to uh, 
to, to remembering something. I'm, I'm an astronomy nerd. I, I, I love it. I believe learning about the stars and the universe and, you know, uh, astro- you know astronomy and astrophysics and all that, st- cosmology. I, I love that stuff, and I, I believe it's God's common grace that works uniquely on me that helps me love him and, and enjoy him. And so um, I want to tell you the largest telescope that was ever made was launched on Christmas Day in 2021, all right, about a year and a half, not quite two years ago. It's 21 feet in diameter. It collects waves and photons of light from the most difficult to see and detect spectrums of the light spectrum. It's called the James Webb Telescope. And not only is it able to see those weird spectrums, it's, it's powerful gaze pierces into the celestial, like the seemingly endless celestial void, and it's now showing us the most distant and far off objects. I mean, worship right now. All right. That's God's sovereign appointment. It's time to to sing worship songs. All right, come forward. Give your life to Jesus. Not only is it able to see from those, but it shows us the furthest things that we've ever seen. We're seeing galaxies and celestial stru- structures and stuff that we had no idea was out there, but we were thinking and hoping maybe some of that stuff would be out there. Um, with the help of the James Webb, t- Webb Telescope, w- with the help of uh, the, the, the telescopes on the Kitt Peak Observatory just outside of Tucson, Arizona, or the, the Keck Observatory on Mauna Kea out in Hawaii, and literally hundreds and thousands of earthbound telescopes and orbiting telescopes out in space with their help we can see thousands upon thousands, not just stars, but thousands upon thousands of galaxies. And those galaxies are full, full of not just millions and not just billions, but trillions of stars. Trillions of stars. In fact, as, the, as of the first of this month, July 2023, as a, a, a beginning of this month, there are a confirmed 5,425 planets all of them discovered outside of our solar system. And we know, we know that that number of planets that we've just discovered is, is only one grain of sand on all the beaches of Florida, right? California. We've seen all sorts of amazing, spectacular, puzzling, and even in some ways frightening objects, frightening events out in outer space. And all of those things, they exist and they are occurring Far, far away. And if we didn't have telescopes to help us see them, to observe them, to see them in a way that's much more like the way they really are, then we would never see those things, and we would never know about those things. So as I was preparing to preach this message, uh, I was talking over my thoughts for the sermon with, with Christian Law. Why? Because like, he's really smart, and he's really wise, and he's godly, and I trust him, and I love him. You guys should too. He, he asked me what I was praying over, planning to say for today's sermon. And before I said, uh, because I'm a wise pastor, I said, uh, before I answer you, uh, I have a question for you, right? Because sometimes you go, hey, what about, I go, oh, well, what do you think about that? <laughs> like, gives me time to maybe think or my mind Google search or something. I don't know. Um, I asked him, when I tell you, Christian, when I tell you that I want to preach on our church's vision, what are you hoping is going to come out of my mouth? Hey, Christian, I'm going to preach on vision. What do you hope? What are you really yearning for that will come out? 
And he, man, it was great. He said, Jesus, like, boom. He said, Jesus, you're going to preach on a church's vision? What I want to hear is Jesus. I want you to help me see Jesus. I want you, I want someone to give me a refreshed and renewed vision of Christ. I want to see him. I want to hear him in my head, in my heart. I, I feel like I can do anything. Christian's like, I can do anything when I see him, when I really see him. I feel like I want to do. I feel like I'm willing to do anything, even stuff like right now I don't feel like doing or believe I can do. Like, I believe I can be willing to do anything. And I just really want to see him. I have a vision of him. So I'm, I'm really glad that I asked Christian. I'm really glad that's what he said. I'm glad I asked him before I told him what I was going to start my sermon with because then he would have been really disappointed. And, it, and, if, and if I approach this message today with the way I originally was before talking with him, and I believe that was the Holy Spirit in him, working through him to love and serve not just me, but you guys, um, I think you guys would have been disappointed, even if you couldn't understand why you were still kind of not quite so, mm, oh, okay, that's great, that's neat. I was going to start off by describing a grand, a grand verbal video of the future of our church, right? What it ought to look like, what it could look like and sound and feel like, with, when more and more of members of our church are, are growing in maturity, spiritual strength, joy, when more and more of us are committed and more participatory and more excited and more heartbroken and more ready, when there are not simply more of us living that life of discipleship, but there's more and more of us being added to this group of people. What it would look like on Sunday mornings, what it would look like in community groups, what it would look like with us in this community as ambassadors of the gospel. Christ making his appeal through us to the lost world. That's what I was going to start with. And even though there is no human organization, there's no, there's no human nation, no, no human culture or institution. There is no group, club, organization, party, anything. There is nothing nearly as, as beautiful and as important as the church. The United States is a gift nowhere near as important as, or as beautiful as the church. Because someday Jesus shows up, either sometime before then or right then, America becomes kindling. Your political party becomes kindling. Your, your group, your club, your ethnic identity, racial pride, uh, your, your, your sexual uh, uh, views, your philosophies, all, all of that that goes through a fire, and what, the only thing that lasts is what is pure and holy, and that is God's people, the church, from all those ethnicities and all those places and postures. There isn't anything glorious or spectacular. There's nothing inspiring. There's nothing motivating, and there's nothing even worth trying to become in a church vision. Look at me. If that church has no vision of Jesus. There's nothing, there's no future in which our church grows and gets big and there's leaders and there's a lot of funds and, and there's a lot of fun and there are people being healed and people being befriended and, uh, and, and churches being planted and the Bible being opened. There, none of that is worth anything if the people involved in that and even achieving it, if they don't have sight of Jesus. 
you can't see if you don't see Jesus. So before I want to help you see the future that we believe Jesus is calling us into, I believe we need help in seeing the Jesus who is calling us into that future. We need some help seeing him and knowing him, don't we? I know I do. He's so great. He's so mighty. He's so endlessly powerful. He's wise, beyond wise. He's omniscient. All knowledge, all knowledge, all information, all truth only exists because it issues forth from who he is in the first place. Eternal creator God. There's no one above him or beside him. There's no one like him. He's holy. He's set apart in his there's no one like himness. He's mysterious and he is strange. It's not just that matter and energy and stuff depend on him to exist. It's not just that metaphysical ideas and, and concepts like truth and justice and beauty and love and fairness and poetry. It's not just those ideas depend on him to exist. It's that existence itself depends on him to exist. Nothing exists if he does not exist. And nothing exists if the existence itself decides to make things exist. And if he so chooses and so wills it with no effort... Something or all things cannot exist. First Timothy chapter 6, 16, the Bible tells us about this God, Jesus. He is Jesus, is he who is blessed. And he's the only sovereign. We went through what that word sovereign means back when we went through the book of, of Esther. He's the only sovereign, the only one who has the authority and the power to do as he pleases. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He alone has immortality, and he dwells. He is he who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. He's that holy. He's that, he's that great. He's that infinite. He's that unimaginable. He is the avenging king and the husband of his bride, the church. His eyes flash with fire. He spits swords. His throne is in the heavens, and he does all that he pleases. Flashes of lightning, peals of thunder announce his might. His voice is like the sound of many rushing waters, like the greatest and most terrifying tidal wave that consumes entire continents. Angels hide their faces in his presence. The greatest kings and masters of the earth fall on their faces, and demons tremble and shake in terror at the sound of his name. Are you hearing this? Are you with me? Are you hearing this? Are you seeing this? He is the Lion of Judah. He's the bright morning star. He's the judge of the living and the dead, and he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. So if we can all just be honest for a moment, why is it that so often he is so small? in my mind, in my heart, in my soul. Why is he so small so often? If we can all be honest, the, the few of us gathered here, can we all just tell the truth? Why is he so small so often? And I'm, I'm begging you, especially if you are a mature Christian, and if you are in a season of spiritual faith and strength, God bless you, that's so good. But be careful of denying that that is not a true experience of your life. You're just lying to yourself and you can't see God. Why is he so small? 
obviously not because she is so small. It's because we have a problem with our eyes. Our physical eyes can only see so much, and we can only see so far. The eyes of our minds can only think of, we can only learn, we can only comprehend and understand so much. The eyes of our hearts can only feel and embrace and care about so much. The, the, the Apostle Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthian Christians, he, he, he talked about, Paul is talking about himself. He's Paul, wrote half the New Testament, right? He blows his nose on a hank with a hanky, tries to put it in his pocket, it falls out, people pick it up, and lepers are healed because they just touched his snot-filled yank, hanky, right? This is Paul, and he says, listen, I'm just like you guys, and right now, the way we live in this world, the way we see God, and the way we see each other, the way we see this world, the way we see physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, he, how does he describe it? He says, it's like we're looking through a really dingy, dim, dirty, stained window. We can barely see and understand reality as it is. Why is it that our jobs, why is it that our career paths, why is it that our money, our families, our enemies, why is it that our suffering and our trauma and our pain and our fears, why is it that our leisures and conveniences and entertainment and our hobbies, why are our, our human relationships and human endeavors, why are all these things so big all the time? Because I'll tell you, a great theologian said, I can't remember his name, but I'm going to just paraphrase, but he said, like, what you worship and what you care about most, you'll know it because when you don't have anything else to think about, that's what your mind lands on. What are you, what are you thinking about, daydreaming of, caring about, mulling over, chewing on, meditating, when you just have the time for your brain to think and rest on something? Why are those things so big all the time? Why do the cares of this life and world seem so big and weighty and important and either beautiful and wonderful and pleasurable and, and, and tempting and, and wooing or scary and frightening? Why, why are they so big and so loud? These things, these things whose existences depend on Jesus, the eternal, glorious creator God of the whole universe, why are they so big in our sight and so why is Jesus so small? It's not a problem with Jesus. In fact, I'd even say it's not a problem with those things. Because I don't think I named really any like automatically sinful or dark, bad things. It's a problem with our eyes, and we need help. But when I, when I went through over the last week or two getting ready, I, lost, I went looking in the Bible to, to find how many times does the Bible talk about magnifying the Lord. Seeing God, beholding God, looking at him, praising him, remembering him, sharing and telling others about him, worshiping him, like looking and getting him. How, how many times? I, I, I lost, well, it's well over 300 times. I lost count past that. I, no, I, you know, I'm, I'm lying. I, I just got tired. I figured it, it's 300 and more times that we are told to look for him. Search for him, seek after him, remember him, remind one another, meditate and think about him to lift up his name and tell of his character and tell the story of his works and to tell of his promises. We have a magnification problem. We are fallen and broken. We're small. And the eyes of our, not just head, but the eyes of our minds, hearts, and souls, they are also fallen and we have a magnification problem. 
there are two instruments that we've, we've discovered that help us with magnification, right? You can name them. There's what, what I've already talked about, telescopes, yes? And then there's microscopes. My, microscopes take very small things, things that are right in front of us, things that either we can kind of see but we can't see very well or we can't see at all. And what, are the, what does a microscope do? It takes something small that's right there in front of us and makes it look big. Those things are small and we make them look bigger. What about a telescope? Telescope takes, they, they take very big things, things that are very far away, and we need help to see them, to either see them in the first place or to see them as they are, but they are huge. The things are huge and far away, and the telescope makes those very big things look bigger than they are with our eye, but they, they make them look more like what they really are in reality. We have magnification problems. I have, a mag I have a sight problem, a magnification problem. You have a sight problem, a magnification problem. The world has this problem. And the problems and the fears and the limited satisfactions and pleasures that we chase after in this life and all of the, I wish I could, but I can't for this reason. Oh, uh, man, it'd be a great idea if we could, but mm, I'm really busy. Or we don't have enough funds, or we're not a big enough church, or I don't know that much about the Bible, or I'm not so good with words, or uh, you know, no, all the countless reasons why we ought to get after this and wait, oh, that'd be a great idea, and I really have all this intention of being like this and going that place, eh, but I can't. That's because our eyes are stuck on this microscope. This mental, emotional, and spiritual, spiritual microscope of our life. And the things that are very small and right in front of us, they get made big. And the truly big and worthy eternal thing is far away, and we need him to be drawn close. We need a telescope. We need a telescopic life. Because those things are small. They're not that big. And that guy, he is endlessly huge. And we need him to be drawn close to our eyes to get a look at him and see him more and more for who he is and how he is. So guys, that, that's, that's why God has given us. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me point us for a second to the telescope that God has given. Why, why did he? Because he knows. He knows what we're made of. He remembers that we're like dust. Right? He knows the futility that we are under. He knows, and he loves us. He, why, does he, why would he give us a telescope? To see him? Because he's good. Because he's good. He doesn't, he doesn't just blame us. He doesn't hold our smallness and lack of vision against us. Unless we disregard his telescope and don't care to look through it and see him. Let me tell you that the Bible, the preacher, the body, and the mission, that's what God gives us. Those are telescopes. We need, to, we need to see him. We need to see Jesus. So this is why God has given us his word, his Bible, recorded and preserved faithfully, perfectly accurate, and miraculously. For thousands of years, he's given it to us. Because it's here that God reveals himself in a special way. It's called special revelation. It's in this book that God reveals to us the truest of truths that he does not communicate in any other place, in any other time, in any other way. 
There are things that you cannot know and you must know about God that are in this book, and you won't get them on a nature walk. You won't get them through uh, LSD or, or peyote or having a, or a spiritual, being put into a spiritual trance. You won't get it at a U2 concert or at your or with a good friend or surrounded by family, being filled with love and acceptance. You aren't, you're not going to get those things anywhere except here. He put it here. Why? Because he loves us. We need to see him. The Bible is God's telescopic gift to people with faulty and limited vision. And this is why God calls preachers and teachers and pastors to open this book. I'm, I am called to be about the business of repeating and repeating and repeating and clarifying and reminding and explaining and re-explaining and constantly I'm, I'm called to be looking for new ways to faithfully express the oldest and truest of truths which does not change. Preaching is, is God's telescopic gift to people with faulty and limited vision. This is why God has assembled his people. This is why he gathers them into a church. The children of God, the children of God, united in not just a worship service, but in a life of worship together. Not just a Sunday, not just a weeknight or a weekend night for a community group, but he, we are called and assembled as the family to live our lives, like live our lives in a rhythm of life together. And that, that happens because of the saving and adopting love of our Heavenly Father. We're, we're, that's why he's assembled us, worshiping and praising God with one another, in front of one another, and for one another. We understand that when the worship team's up here and it's time for us to sing, you have two audiences. You have two people that you're singing to. You are singing to God, about God. And you are singing to one another. You're singing to me about God. You're singing to one another about God. You are encouraging and trying to lift up and whip up and stir up. Possibly, you don't know when someone's coming into church on any given Sunday to worship God, whether they're leaping in or they're limping in, and you have no idea who here needs you to open your mouth, lift up your voice, maybe get a little charismatic and Pentecostal, a little scary, raise your hand from time to time. Say amen. Thank you. Because someone else that you have no idea they're depending upon you, you are responsible. Otherwise, you're asking me the question of pain. Whoops. Why, why is it my problem? Am I my, bro my brother's keeper? Yes. That's why this is so necessary. It's not just a good idea. It's not just a way to keep from getting in trouble and getting a text message or a call from a pastor or one of the church. Hey, man, where were you? I miss you. Oh, no, I got to give my excuse. I hope it's good enough. They're not mad at me because I'm missing church. I'm so sorry. I decided to lay out of church. We're, we're traveling. Right? I didn't feel so good. It's not about that. It's you need to see Jesus, and the church is given to you as a telescope, a weekly, a daily telescope to give to you so you can see him because your eyes are terrible. Mine are terrible. And we're given to each other to, just with the mere fact of our presence to be part of the worship and not lay out. 
and rearrange the calendars and the rhythms of our lives to be with God's people because we are individually and together God's gift as we are his telescopic gift to one another, people with faulty and limited vision. This is why God's given his church a mission. That's the church has a mission. Actually, I can say it even different. There's a mission, and God gave the mission a church. That might be even more accurate, maybe more powerful. Go and make disciples of all people from all the nations. Tell them about me. And don't just say it. Show it. Who I am? Tell them. Show them. Who I am? Tell them what I've said. Tell them about what I've done. Tell them what I've promised. Tell them the instructions and commands that I've given for salvation and for a life of salvation here, flourishing in joy no matter what befalls you and into eternal life, which can't be touched. And that mission is given to us because the unbelieving lost of our world, the Bible says, they're what? They're blind. Because the unbelieving lost of our world are blind. Jesus says in Matthew 12, he says, seeing they don't see. They think they see, but they don't. They're fooled into thinking they see. Thinking. Their, Their eyes are darkened and their minds don't understand. They, under, they don't understand God. They don't understand this reality. They under, don't understand themselves or this universe. They don't really, truly, comprehending, they don't understand. Because why? Not because their hearts are hardened. That's Ephesians 4.18. Their hearts are hardened. They're blind. And they think they see. But Jesus has given the world. He's given blind people throughout the world. He's given them the church. Why? Because he's loving Because he's good. Because he is the Lord. He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and mercy. That's why he gives the world the church. The church that the world, the blind world also hates. He's given the world the church. He's given the world. He's given Henry County, Clayton County. He's given your job, your workplace. He's given you your school where you go. He's given you your home and your neighborhood and the people who live around you and near you. That's not an accident. You were appointed by God, regardless of how you landed on the neighborhood or the house you were going to get because it had the right square footage or enough bedrooms, had an office. Wow, I had a pool, all right? It's got a big, obnoxious pavilion in the back where I can put all my grills and have fun with my friends and do church. All right, yeah, regardless of none of those reasons, Above and over all of the reasons why you are where you are in your life and all those times and places and circumstances and around those people, that's God's appointment. You were scheduled by God to be there for a purpose. Because you are a child of God who is ambassador. He's included you and called you into the family business. And he's not looking for more employees. He's looking to adopt more kids. And he sent out brothers and sisters to God's beautiful church. He sends us to tell the lost around us who we've seen, to tell them what we've seen, to show and demonstrate, and to live in front of them as though we really have seen him because he really is real. And why do they need that? Because he is far away from them. He is far away from them. He's huge. 
They're so far away from them, their hearts are hardened, their minds do not understand, and they're blind. And so they can't see him. The mission of the church is God's telescopic gift to people who are blind and need to see. And we're perfectly cut out for this. Did you know this? I, I, I don't hate it, but it really mm, bugs me a bit when this is kind of the only description or paradigm we talk about in the church. Right? Um, uh, some of us have taken a spiritual gifts test, yes? Raise your hand if you've taken a spiritual gifts test. Cool. Raise your hand if you have not. That should be everyone else. You have, to, you have to participate. What good is it being a pastor if I can't tell you what to do? Who's taken a spiritual gifts test in their life? Well, raise your hand. Who is not? Thank you. All right. All right. Now, very few of us probably have scored on that spiritual gifts test and been told that you have the spiritual gift of evangelism. Some people have. I got, I mean, some of you are, you have the gift of evangelism. It's clear, right? Dustin Turpin, gift of evangelism. He's the honey badger of the gospel, all right? He's not waiting to learn more or get more sophisticated in the wording. He doesn't care if it's rough or kind of wonky or like stilted or uncool or cool. He doesn't care. He's going to, hey, you need to hear about Jesus. So uh, when do you want to do that? I love it. Now, here, here's, the, here's the only problem with thinking that way. Is that if there is a gift of evangelism and someone on some test looks and says, ah, you don't have that gift of evangelism, you know what that means? I'm not an evangelist. I don't take part in that. I don't have any responsibility. And that's garbage. That's garbage. Your gift of evangelism, your work, your, your, your part in the family business of helping blind, lost people see the God who is far off and you, as your life serves as a telescope for them so they can see Jesus, you might not do it Dustin's way or my, I don't do it Dustin's way. But you have a part to play in the family business in helping the lost see. And we're perfectly cut out for it. Do you know why? Because you and I were born blind too. And now that we see, again, we go back to Paul, he goes, we, we can see, but it's still, oh, the telescope's filthy, it's dirty, it's hard to see through. You know the good news is? Paul says, it does, the, the glass doesn't stay that way. Right now, because of God's love, we can see, and, and in the future, someday, because of God's love, the glass will be wiped clean, and the glass will be removed, and there won't be anything between him and us. He won't be big and far away, and we need help seeing him. He'll be big and near, and we don't need any help seeing him. We're perfectly cut out for it. I'll tell you what Ephesians chapter 2 tells us about this telescopic life in which God gives us the telescope of his word, gives us the telescope of the preaching and the teaching of God's word, the telescope of the church helping us, helping one another see him when our, it's hard to see him, the, the telescope of going to those who are blind and giving them a telescope, hoping that when they get to the looking glass, the Lord will make them see. Here's, how, here's what Ephesians 4 says. Remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. You were in the flesh. You were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh of hands. You weren't saved. You weren't clean. You weren't one of the good guys. You didn't know God. Remember that you were at that time. You were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of God's people. You were strangers. You were strangers to the covenants of his promise. And you had no hope, and you were without God in the world. That's how you were born. 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 That's how I was born. 
Everybody. We don't forget that. That's why we can be good telescopes. That's how we can be good tele- effective telescopes to people who don't know God. They're blind, and maybe even they think they hate him. Because we can go, ah, oh, I'm no better than you. I know what it's like to be blind. I don't judge you. I don't hate you. You're wrong about all these things. You're offending Jesus, and you're trying to hurt my feelings by offending him and offending me and insulting him. Well, that hurts, but I'm not mad at you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to love you. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to talk down to you like I'm superior or better than you. I remember what it's like to be blind because I know that now, how hard it is to see. He himself is our peace. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in all these religious practices so that he might create in in himself one new sort of man in the place of two, making peace so that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both access and one spirit to the Father. So then you are, no long, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are now fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God. You know the ultimate telescope is Jesus. He's far off and he's big. And to us we say small above and beyond and better than even the Bible, even preaching, even the church, and even the missions. You know, it's Jesus, because he himself became a telescope. He gave himself. He was far away and lifted up, and we couldn't see him. He came, he came near to us. It's like the faintest and furthest and most glorious, spectacular star we have no idea exists, but it would be the best thing in the world to see it and know it. It's come to us. No one needs anyone to know. It's just right there. I want want you to see Jesus. I need you to see Jesus. You really need to see Jesus. I really need to see him. Not just with these, but here and here and wherever we might point to for your soul. If my eyes can't see him, then I, I really can't see reality. I can understand a bunch of stuff, but I can't comprehend it. If my, if my eyes can't see him, then I can't really see anything. Let me tell you this. And I'm going to talk about myself. And when I say these things about myself, you need to see that you're my brother and my sister in this experience. That you and I, we are together in this. We see this. It's, it's when I'm not seeing Christ that I'm not holding on to. It's, that's when I'm not holding on to him. It's, not when, it's when I'm not feeling. It's when I'm not knowing. It's, not, it's when I'm not understanding what, what really is true. And what is really real. It's when my eyes have lost sight of Jesus. He's the hero and the centerpiece of the gospel. It's when my eyes have lost Jesus that that's when I'm most distracted. That's when I'm most confused. That's when I'm most heart weary. That's when I'm most head exhausted. That's when I'm most sad. That's when I'm the most fearful. That's when I'm the most frustrated. Yeah, sure, there are other factors that are influencing my confusion or my distraction or sadness or fear. But if I have sight of Jesus, those things can affect me, but they can't touch me. But when I've lost sight of Jesus, when he, when he doesn't have my attention and my love, and he's not, he's, he's not big and he's still small now and far away, 
It's a lack of or a loss of vision for Jesus that causes my work to lose meaning. It's why my possessions no longer interest me. It's why my spouse becomes less and less pleasurable to me. It's why my life seems meaningless and unimportant. It's why nothing holds any lasting satisfaction, no matter how much I get or how often I get it. It's why... It's why I'm overwhelmed with boredom and isolation in a world filled with toys and trinkets and entertainment at my beck and call. It's why I am isolated and lonely in a world surrounded by 8 billion people that I could interact with from anywhere at any time with, with this simple little black rectangle I got in my pocket. We're the most connected society and culture the world has ever seen in all of human history, and we're the most lonely. Why? Because we have to long to see Jesus and lose meaning. Church, if we can't see Jesus, if we don't make use of the telescopic gift that he's given us so that we can see him, if, if we, Restoration City Church, has a small, dim, faraway vision of Jesus Christ, then I tell you once again, it's worthless for me to take any time. It's worthless. It's a waste of time for me to talk about what kind of exciting, growing future our church could work for. We might as well liquidate everything, give me my severance package for what it's worth, and we all go find a, just a better club to be part of. Regain our Sunday mornings, getting to sleep in. Get back our 10% or whatever it is that we give. It's, it would be worthless because if we don't have a vision for Jesus, if we are not people who see him and are seeing him, it's not going to happen. And it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be worth, it would be a tragedy to grow a church, to grow this church and see hundreds of people here and a busy baptism tub and people raising their hands and singing and there's giving and there's churches planted and there's pastors being raised and lives are being ha made happier and people are being healed and marriages are being reconciled. It, it's absolutely worthless if that church is filled with people who don't see Jesus because then it's built on people in the flesh and it does not have the spirit of God in it. It's just a really great, happy club, and awesome things are happening. But people, people in that group, it's just a big group full of happy people who do some really great religious stuff together, and they're going to hell. They don't see Jesus. They don't see him. They don't have him. But if we can see him, and if we do see him, then... we together can see him and commit to being telescopes for one another? Helping us see the big one who is far off and he's been brought near and now we see him. We can, we can do anything. We can do anything. All the, not just all the excuses as to why I can't do something or why this can't happen, but all the legitimate reasons why that can't happen. That's dust. That's dust before the Holy Spirit's leaf, Lord. That disappears. They can't stop you. They can't stop us if we're the ones who see Jesus. I want to I try and prove that. I want to try and prove that. So let me go back to astronomy here. So even though, <laughs> even though nothing in this universe travels faster than light, you guys, 
Even if you went to public school, so you should know that. Nothing travels faster than light, but light still has a speed, okay? Light doesn't travel instant, instantly, although it looks like it, it just travels that fast. It travels really fast. Any of you know what that actual speed of, speed of light is? I, I will tell you, all right? It's 670,616,629 miles per hour. Let me draw that down. That's roughly 186,000 miles per second. That's how fast light travels. And so I am told by astronomers, by the science tells me, okay, that the sun is about 93.3 million miles away from us on average. So if you do the math, which I can't, again, I'm relying on the internet. If the sun is 93.3 million miles away from us and that's how fast light travels, then do you know it takes about eight minutes for a photon of light emitted from the sun's surface to reach the earth and get to my eyeball, to your eyeball. It takes about eight minutes. So do you know what that means? Because of the distance of space and the speed of light and the interaction in physical and metaphysical, met, like everything, in, in reality, when you look at the sun, you're not seeing it now. You're seeing what the sun looked like eight minutes ago. If the sun were to suddenly, miraculously, and terrifying, just disappear into the void of space, we wouldn't know for another eight minutes. You know what that means? When we're looking at the sun right now, we're looking into the past. When we look through these telescopes and we're looking at stars and galaxies and planets and stuff that's hundreds of light years away, thousands of light years away, millions of light years away, right? When we see that stuff, the light took some point of time to get to us. We're actually looking at dinosaur stars. We're looking at things unbelievably ancient. We're looking back in time. That's what, tel that's what these telescopes can actually do. They don't just help us see what's far off. They tell us what the past was like right now. We're seeing what the past was like right now. It's like watching a video of what happened in 1941 or, or 1874 or 1776, right? You're there because it's right there, right? The light's coming to me. Now, one thing that these telescopes can't do, though, they can't show us the future. But I told you, I told you, God has given us special telescopes, something for magnification. And the Bible, for one, the Bible doesn't just tell us what happened. It tells us who always happened. And the Bible tells us all that we need to know about what will happen. It's, it's promises. We don't know all the future, but we know what the Bible tells us that is most necessary for us to know. It gives us a telescopic vision of the past, present, and the future of the universe. Because God is the author of all things and all circumstances and all times and all places. Can you see him? Let me just see him. There are things that I, as your pastor, I'm motiva motivated po by positively, and there are things that I'm motivated by with, with neg like negative emotions, like concern and worry. I'm, I'm motivated by both. You can't escape that. But there are things that should happen here in this body, through this body of believers. It should happen through you and me. Things that need to be done, things that need to be started, things that must be put to stop, uh, put to an end. Things that must be changed, transformed, and made better. There are people that must join us, and they have no access to Christ and his body here unless us, you, 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 
live out the life of telescopic gifting for one another in the world. And it won't happen unless we see him. I was prepared to read for you out loud Isaiah chapter 40, 9 through 31. I, I need to draw this sermon to a close. So would you, would you make a note to yourself today to read Isaiah chapter 40, 9 through 31? Because it's a high and lofty and good. And I'll tell you, it's a perfect vision of Christ because, well, it comes from God's word. So before I try, which I'm going to be primarily doing this evening in our covenant member meeting, but before I, before I ever try to describe to you guys a vision of the future of Restoration City Church, before I ever try to describe to you a vision of the audit, this auditorium crowded with worshiping believers and lost people who have come searching, before I ever try to give you a vision of Bibles open, hands lifted, voices singing, a vision of blind people seeing, deaf people hearing, lost people found, unloved people finding and receiving love, sinful people being forgiven, a vision for the friendless who now have friends, the foolish who are now being made wise, the hopeless who are now being given hope. Before I ever try to describe to you the, the future that we ought to be praying for and striving for by God's own grace-fueled efforts in us, before we ever before I ever talk to you about a vision of traumatized people, paralyzed and trapped and smothered in the sin and the suffering that's in them and on top of them from other people and who are now set free with clean consciences, they got clear minds, they're unde they have undefeatable joy in their hearts. Before I, before I just try to describe this vision of broken marriages that deserve to be tossed in the dumpster, but now they're discovering unbelievable and impossible reconciliation and the rebirth and the reawakening of love between husband and wife, a vision of poor people who are now provided for, hungry people who are being fed, sick people who are being healed, grieving people who are now being comforted, people with no past, no vision, no hope for the future, and their life is already over. They're just waiting to climb in the box someday. Those people now see who they are and why their life matters because of who Jesus is. A vision of diverse, of a diverse church, of different, ethnic, different ethnicities, different political postures, different economic circumstances, different spiritual backgrounds. All those people who have no real legitimate business or reason to be friends and even family together, but they're all united in the gospel because of Jesus Christ. A vision of leaders being called and trained and then set loose. A vision of disciples being made and those disciples then making new disciples. A vision in which you, in which you, in which you, in which you, in which you find, because you see Jesus and he shows it to you. A vision in which you find and then you walk in greater hope and greater faith and greater love and greater power than you've ever imagined. A vision of this church, of these people, a vision of you being used mightily in the lives of one another and those people that you don't know yet. A vision of over 100 people gathering with us in worship on Sundays by this time next year. Ten more flourishing community groups filled with people who are making only one promise to each other. I'm going to fight for your joy in Christ. Two new ordained pastors to help lead and shepherd. Newly saved Christians getting baptized and discipled. A church full of people. Again, fighting for one, of the joys in, one another's joys in Christ. Before I try to tell you about any of that, do you guys see what I did? I told you about it anyhow.
If any of what I just did and ran through so fast and so loud for the last four or five minutes, if any of that is actually moving you, then I hope and I'm going to believe and I'm going to trust that it's, it's because that picture isn't the most awesome. It's because you've seen the one who is far away but awesome and good. And now you see that that I just told you. You go, of course. That's the future he gives to us. That's, that's what he's called us into. That's what he's dignifying and honoring us to be part of. He's going to use me. He, can, he wants to use me. He wants to employ me in that. He wants to bring me into that. <laughs> What's it cost? Let's go. What do we need? Let's go. What do I need to rearrange? What, what furniture in my life do I just need to move around? I'm ready. If it's for him, now that I see him, anything. I try to tell you about any of that, I need us to see Jesus Christ. He's eternal creator God. He's omnipotent. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He is the God who put on humanity. He's the one who is most high, who lowered himself. He is the king of the universe who became our servant. He's the lamb of God who was sacrificed and slain and washing us of our sin and covering our shame with his blood. Church, Restoration City Church, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God, therefore God has exalted him as highly exalted, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father, and I might add, not because it's missing, just because you need it, and it's there in other places in the Bible, and for your joy. Let's go. Church, come as well. In a few weeks, I'll be preaching two other sermons. First one about what it looks like for disciples to be on the mission of growth in the church. And the next is how we as disciples are to work for and strive for the growth of the church. And both of those, it's not a win or lose. It's not a better or less than. It's not a first or second. It's a both and. And it's they're hand in hand. It's a right hand and left hand. In this church, it's time for us to move. It's the only move. And you can't go anywhere if you're blind and you can't see Jesus. We need to be the people who see Jesus. Help our neighbors see Jesus. Help him see Jesus. Stop bringing all this joy in Christ. Tonight, we'll see one another at a covenant member meeting. If there's someone who wasn't at church today, you don't know where they were, be your brother's keeper. Be, be your brother's your sister's keeper. Reach out to them. Hey, missed you. You gonna be able to make it tonight? You're gonna need to be able to see this. I made I made little smokies. You'll love them. They're great, right? If there's people traveling, or they're sick and they miss church, or they miss your community group, be a telescope. Reach out to them. Care for one another. Help us see Jesus. Something we already we can already practice today. And with that said, as we as we've seen Jesus. He's given us all sorts of telescopes, and, and he, doesn't, he just doesn't stop helping us to see him. 
is when he's given to the church in communion. In this metaphor of a telescope. The person and the work of Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago, we weren't there for it. We can't see it ourselves. And yet he's given us a telescope through communion to peer back 2,000 years ago 